Welcome to Prey vs. Predator, the podcast. In the animal kingdom, prey survive by using their senses to escape their predator. Predators in the wild are identified quickly. They look like danger, smell like danger, and will consume you if you don't act fast. In the human world, the predators look like you, smell like you, act like you. So how does a human prey survive? Does your relationship make you feel crazy? Like you're walking on eggshells, like you can never say or do the right thing? Are you scared that if you make a mistake, you will be devoured in one bite? Are you criticized, controlled, punished, or lorded over with contempt? Are you in a relationship with a predator? The purpose of this podcast is to arm prey with the skills and tools they need to identify, avoid, escape, or survive a predator. This is Prey versus Predator. Hi, I'm Jill. Last season, I told you about my background with a predator. One of the big things I learned through living my story was to keep myself connected and aware of what's going on in my life. That's what I'm passionate about for this Prey vs. Predator community. I ask the questions that keep you looking at your big picture. I'm going to help you see the moments when wisdom visits you, and together we will acknowledge the hard calls and celebrate the good. When I'm not listening to or thinking about questions, stories, or questions about stories, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a hospital supervisor, and I'm a musician. Hi, I'm PJ. Last season, I shared my story of what I experienced living life with a predator partner and a bit of what post-predator life has been like. I had to learn an entire new language to express and understand what had happened to me. I have always loved people and listening to their stories and learning from their experiences. As a social worker, I bring clinical experience, but my real passion comes from a deep desire to walk alongside and protect fellow prey. Hi, I'm Amber. My predator is a parent that I am still in relationship with. It is sometimes heartbreakingly tough to keep the relationship going, but I have learned a lot about myself and how amazingly strong and resilient I am. My pain has fueled my passion for performing and for keeping this PVP community alive. I want people to know they're not alone. That is the gift of the arts, but also the gift of us telling our stories here on this podcast. You are not alone. Let's be brave and make something beautiful together. Hashtag pray power. Welcome back. We are so happy for you to join us today. This is the first in our Predators in Pop Culture episodes. We are going to give you examples from pop culture, movies, documentaries, stories, headlines that illustrate what we are discussing in our podcast. We think it's important for our listeners to see what predators look like and act like in real time, so predators will be easier to spot. Because these behaviors to the untrained eye can appear normal, we want to help you develop a framework for really understanding what you're seeing and hearing. The series we are going to discuss today is Bad Vegan on Netflix. So if you want, please pause the podcast and watch. Otherwise, spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead. 
So if you've already seen Bad Vegan, we're just going to give you a brief synopsis. You might have forgotten. It could have been a few months. This is the story of Sarma and Sarma's relationship with an individual. We're going to call him Mr. Fox. Sarma is an incredibly hardworking woman. She um, she got a degree in business in university, but um, after graduation, she started working in Wall Street, decided this was not for her. Although she loved business, what she really loved was food, and she's a vegan. So she and her then-boyfriend started this wildly successful restaurant, and um, that relationship ended Sarma kept the restaurant, uh, met Mr. Fox, and and um, yeah, this series talks about what an incredibly crazy journey it was from the time she met Mr. Fox until now. And when I was watching it, I don't know about you two, but when I was watching it, I was just able to create so many parallels between Sarma's story and my story. It was a little bit nuts. PJ, tell me, when you first watched it, were you shocked? Tell me what you were thinking. Well, I love this. I love this series uh, on Netflix, mostly because it does, um, even even despite itself, um, I I don't even know if the producers knew what they were looking at exactly. But um, if you do know what you're looking at, they do a great job of really in real time showing the difference between prey and predator mm-hmm. and the and the behaviors of the predator are so clear and because there's so many snippets of videos and so many recordings of the predator um and uh, I know you said Mr. Fox I'm only going to refer to him at this point as MF sure it stands for something different <laughs> yeah it does <laughs> in my mind um but um that what stood out to me really was this is the clarity of the example. Mm. And and that was really powerful for me. He does go by a few different names and that's kind of part of the predatory experience. Absolutely. So he is, I think, referred to as Shane Fox, I think at the beginning, because the yeah. first episode is Mr. and Mrs. Fox. Yeah. And then his, his actual name comes out, which I believe it's Anthony. Yeah. And then... He does go by other names as other Why people. Why do you think predators do that? Well, I don't know that all predators. Okay. Do. I, I don't know that all predators do that, but but I think because they live in fantasy. Oh. Because they live in fantasy and they're in their minds, fantasy is reality. Right. Then that's just part of the fantasy. Well, and he lives especially in fantasy. Right. Because of black ops, whatever, you know, military, war games, all this espionage, you know. Well, let's world go, he lived in. Let's go to the beginning, mm-hmm. um, because one of the things I thought we might be able to start out with is really an understanding of the two main players in, in this show really are Sarma and MF. Um, so I wanted I wrote down some descriptors and I thought we could talk a little bit about who's who Sarma is at the beginning sure. of the yeah. at the at the beginning when we meet her before she's impacted by the predator. Um, who is she? So I'll I'll read you the list of things that the traits that I wrote down as as we um, as we watched and you'll see this in the first episode um, people talking about her. Mm-hmm. So she was described as trustworthy, responsible, 
Um, she's obviously very accomplished. She's, uh, I, I, I wrote down brave. She's running her own business in New York City. New York uh, City. Food business, which is, yeah. you know, the restaurant business is, is scary and precarious at best, yet alone to run it in New York. Um, she's got vision. She's got drive. She's got passion. She's a caretaker for her staff. She's called Sar Mama. Sar Mama. So we know her to be, you know, this kind, warm, um, sort of so- somewhat extroverted, somewhat introverted, probably more introverted than extroverted, um, but just a really giving, loving, strong, capable woman. Being hit on by celebrities. Movie mm. stars. Yeah. Um, and, and people wanting to be with her, mm-hmm. people wanting to, um, you know, put her on books and put her on. Um, so many magazine articles done well, about and she's her. incredibly beautiful, yeah. too, and got a great figure and healthy, food conscious. So she's kind of the desirable female person. Yeah. Yeah, so you've got this strong, smart, capable, beautiful um, woman who is a sound business person. Who's chosen by the money, the backer, to take over the business. Right, He said it's between her ex-boyfriend and her. He chose her. Yeah. I mean, she's got the degree from Wharton, and she's got the the talent as a chef, and he trusts her. Right. Right? So, so this is who she is. This is her character. This is who she, I mean, she didn't get there by lying, cheating, and stealing. She got there from being who she was. Um, her family describes her this way. Her employees were fiercely, fiercely loyal. Mm-hmm. Her friends were fiercely loyal, although you don't see a lot of friends in the movie. Um, but you do see people who are just loyal. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's... The character that produces that depth of loyalty is um, pretty special. And and so I think that it's really important to kind of just park on that um, for this is who this woman is. Mm-hmm. So she meets Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin loves her restaurant. They become friends. She follows him on Twitter. He follows her on Twitter. And Sarma notices that Alec has a lot of back and forth between uh, himself and Mr. Fox. Mm -hmm. So Sarma's great friends with Alec. um, So she will often insert herself into conversations and she and Mr. Fox become friends. They start playing words with friends together, start chatting online, and then um, they meet. Yeah, she describes him as silly and clever, goofy, funny, big, strong guy. She fell in love before meeting him. Yeah. So, th- and, and it's living in that kind of, we all do it. You know, you see a picture of somebody and you think, oh, you know, he's going to take care of me. He's, I don't know who he is, but he's smart and interesting. Let me get to know him. Well, I think it's also interesting that we we do see at the beginning where, um, it sounds like she did like this Alec Baldwin gentleman a little bit, but um, I think something could have happened. Yes, but it sounds also like maybe maybe she thought that she was a bit too young for him, mm-hmm. and so she was a bit wavering. And my guess is Alec Baldwin also was not particularly aggressive. I think he's probably flirty, mm-hmm. but not aggressive. And I think when she didn't pursue him back. You know, apparently she wanted to give him a dog instead of date him. 
um, he kind of started, he was respectful in that he was looking for other people. Like it, he wasn't zeroing in, focusing in, hard hitting. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that stuck out to me, because I think one of the pieces that can attract prey to a predator is when people are healthy, and of course, I don't know Alec Baldwin, I have no idea if he's healthy or not healthy, but his behavior in this area seems a bit healthy. He picked up her cues. She wasn't really, you know, going after Mm-hmm. The, his bait because he was apparently he's flirty. also a movie star though he's probably used to people throwing themselves at him i'm just saying like well, there's that element as well so perhaps he's like well i have to work a little harder for this but but he didn't he didn't he didn't but i think that sometimes with prey um because they're kind of caretaking giving people a lot of times they are people who are they're they tend to lack the vulnerability for saying what they want and what they need. Mm-hmm. And so even if she did like him, it would have been a really hard for her to say she liked him. And so he probably picked up on her cues or what he thought were her cues mm-hmm. and then looked for somebody else. You know, and this is how I relate to this, what we're talking about right now, because I think for a long time, I've been in relationships where the person hasn't love bombed me. In ways that I've seen my friends who end up with predators, but I don't see that. And I go, well, he must not love me completely because he's not pursuing me as hard as this person pursued that person. So I don't have that kind of love. But really, that the people that I've dated have been respectful of my boundaries. Hmm. And I've thought they needed to chase me harder. Well, or something, I don't know. And then I think that shortly on the heels of this, of Alec Baldwin then dating somebody else. Didn't they meet in her restaurant? Yeah. 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 He's having all these children with. I know, like seven seven kids kids or something. Yeah. So, so here, here is this moment where maybe she lost out because, you know, there was that lack of vulnerability. And Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a bit of a wild guess, but, but that tends to be a bit of a pattern for prey is, they're really good at meeting everybody's needs around them. Right. Mm. They're not so good at asking for what they want. And and I remember in the first episode, she said that, that she was at a point where she was tired. And I think one thing that really attracted her to Mr. Fox was that he told her that he would take care of her. That he was strong. Yeah. He had a. He told her that he had a background in the military. She could be taken care of. And I think she was in a place she had driven, 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 driven for so long. She was in a place where she just needed to be taken care of. Well, and he called her tiny blonde human, mm-hmm. TBH, TBH yeah. which is really endearing. It's very yeah. cute. Mm-hmm. And and here's this strong woman who's just, you know, the, the sort of mama for everybody. Mm-hmm. And now here's somebody, oh, okay, this person's going to comfort me. This right. person's going to care for me. This person sees me as a tiny blonde human. That means they're big, strong. Mm-hmm. You know, they can they can see my frailty or they can see my underneath the beauty and the strength and the talent and the, the business degree. Yeah. They can see who I really am. Mm-hmm. Whereas everybody else was seeing the boss, um, the caretaker, the the person in power, the person in charge, the person going to take care of me, this person was. The person who hires me, the person who pays my checks, yeah. the pay- person who does the time pays me my money whatever. back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Scheduling. Totally. So then, yeah, then comes MF and 
and there's a link to to Alec because because um, Alec apparently it looks like he responds to him really quickly, and so it, this is somebody in her mind that's on the same playing field, right? Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. up here. And and the other piece that they don't talk about in the movie, but but it would lo- I'd love to check that out with her is if he was sort of pursuing of her fairly aggressively. Well, I think he was, they were in, con- it sounds like constant so. contact. Mm-hmm. So who knows what that looked like. But if you're spending all night up with somebody talking and getting emotionally vulnerable before you even met him, you build up. And it sounds like when she did meet him in person, there was a bit of a disappointment because I have it even in my notes right. where she said it was shallow of me to be not attracted to him. And so I, it, isn't that interesting? Yeah. She, she wasn't attracted to him. But what did she do? It's my fault. It's my fault. Hmm. So so now we have a little tiny window into prey language as yeah. well, right? Yeah. It, it must be me. I, it I shouldn't must be, be me. I should look beyond that because he's a great guy. He wants to take care of me. And he's big and he's strong and he's yeah. he still could. Yeah. And I shouldn't be shallow. It's probably me. Because if you're a vegan, you're pretty, you want people who kind of follow mm-hmm. that same way of life, right? Mm-hmm. And here's this person who... Well, we find out definitely doesn't. Right. Likes his pizza. <laughs> his fast food. Yeah. yeah. And he, I really was interested in how he even built up these stories that he told her, which were so many lies. And to get away with Had all Had he those even lies. ever been in the military? No. No, never. No. So it was all lies that he spun, which is very much... A predatorial, predatorial thing to do is to weave these stories. Well, I think the creation of a narrative is really an important piece in here. So mm. um, definitely for me in my case, there was a narrative um, with the, with my own predator. Um, and you don't know till years later that this narrative is completely fabricated mm-hmm. um, and of their own uh, fantasy life but his his narrative to kind of keep her interested was it was always mysterious he talked about being in black ops he had a like a cia navy seal type of thing he had drone footage um the other thing he had in his back pocket which apparently um was a common thing for him to do was he had taken her to see his father right. mm-hmm. and the father had verified it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A, a flying monkey. Oh, not, not just the, like, like a full on co-predator. Yeah. Like, like that is, I know he's lying to a woman, mm-hmm. bold faced fabricated lie. And I'm going to support him in looking. So there's zero reason for her to imagine because he's got all the bling. He's got all the the, the cars, the money, the attitude. He's uh, She's met his father. His father says this is all true. Um, and then he's in and out of the relationship. So he's in. They have fun together. He leaves. When somebody's gone, generally, we feel sad for them or or, or, or we, we miss them. We feel sad that we're not with them. And then you don't know where he is. And then he's mysterious about it. And he mm-hmm. could get hurt. So you're scared. Mm-hmm. So you have this, you know, I'm, I'm here. I'm going to love bomb you while I'm here. Um, I'm going to protect you. And then he's got this 
Then he starts creating this huge fantasy world, but she has got no reason to to believe anything other than he's telling the truth. And he's he is very mysterious, and he it it is evident that he's um, got money, and it is evident that. Um, I wonder how he got that money that he had at the beginning. Yeah, probably from another scam. Probably. Yeah. What money did he have at the beginning, though? Well, they talk about him having nice clothes and car, yeah. like like driving really fancy cars, and they and would having stop. a Rolex and Rolex, Rolex and, and stuff. They so would he must do, have scammed somebody, and they would do things like stop at an apartment. He would run in, come back, and he would have quote unquote, you know, a bag full of diamonds. But were they? But I wondered if those were really diamonds. Well, of course, He's, like like you know, they're probably just glass. Of course, yeah. But but we're not, and and he did these like um, he did these other really kind of cool. If you ever saw the Annie Delvey story, you would have seen a lot of the That's same inventing Anna. Yeah, That's invent- another one we can do. Mm, yeah, yeah sure that could. would be another one for us to cover. But um, you see a lot of parallel behaviors. But one of them is um, one of the things that he does to be really impressive to her. Is he sets up a private, yes, a private, a private showing at Tiffany's? Yeah. Well, who on this is stuff that's in full on Hollywood. Well, that's a movie. That's um, what movie with Reese Witherspoon where he does that. Sweet Home Alabama. Sweet Home Alabama. Yeah, I've seen that with Patrick Dempsey. Yep. And, and he, he books out Tiffany's. He books out Tiffany's and whatever she and wants. And he's the mayor yeah. of New York's son. And proposes, yeah. Mm. Phenomenally wealthy lawyer plus wealthy, plus old money. Yeah. So so there is, what on earth would lead you to believe that this guy is is broke and scamming you? Right. Nothing. He disappears for a time. He books out Tiffany's, lets you pick anything you want. You don't get it. You go townhouse shopping. Town, million, million, millions of yeah. dollars. And the nicest townhouse. I mean, the wealthy, like rock stars, movie stars were the neighbors. So there's no reason for anybody to imagine at this point that he's not what he says he is. And I think she mentioned that although... She wasn't particularly attracted to him. I think she was definitely attracted to the safety and security because I think she had had to work so hard to get where she was. I think, too, it, with the I'm not sure the restaurant business, I don't really understand it, but obviously she had that financial man who was mm-hmm. fronting the money. So I think she was in debt to him. Yeah, she was. So she was in debt to him in order to run her business. Right. She had to give. So. I think there was a promise of paying off those debts too for her own business. Here's a successful man. He's going to treat me wildly, you know, in in the lap of luxury. But on top of that, he's going to help me keep my business afloat Mm -hmm. and it'll be mine. Mm -hmm. Well, and this business was really was literally her baby. Mm -hmm. She had her dog and she had her business and those were her children. And so I think she loved them like she gave everything for them. You see that. You see the amount of effort and connection she had. And she did have these massive debts over her head Mm -hmm. that were hanging over there. And so to be a one-person show living in New York by yourself, trying to make ends meet, trying to get, you know— um, creditors off your back, try as, as and and then everybody just seeing your facade, everything, everybody seeing how oh you're pretty and you're and you're tiny and you're successful, y- you make yummy food and and life's so easy for you and so I'm sure 
that the lure of this nice, warm, mysterious guy who's wealthy and going to take care of my debts. I mean, he was talking like millions and millions of dollars were nothing. Mm -hmm. Well, and she also started this business with an ex-boyfriend who we don't, I don't know much about, but I'm just assuming that that relationship didn't work, but she started with somebody. So I could imagine if you start a very ambitious, successful business with somebody and then you break up and one of you have to take it over and you fight to take it over, maybe mm -hmm. there's some sort of fight. I think she started with was to probably share the business with somebody or to not be the only person in charge because that would be exhausting. Yeah. So shortly after they went to Tiffany's, she did declare that she loved him and they ended up getting married. Secretly. Secretly, right. And what first tweaked something for me in my story was that after they got married, she didn't go out and tell anybody. And usually when you get married, it's a big deal. And we announce it and we're standing on top of the world. And, and it's almost like, in my case, in my relationship, in my former relationship with my predator, uh, when, when we got engaged, I didn't want anyone to know. And there was almost like a recognition of a little bit of shame. Like, I've done this. I've made this huge decision. And although I've said yes, I'm not ready to tell people. So that I don't know. For me, that was the first tweak for me. Like, oh yeah, that that's you that's prey behavior on my part that mm -hmm. I recognized in Sarma. Yeah, and I interpreted that as shame. Yeah, a level of shame. Uh, maybe she wouldn't have been conscious, like, oh, I'm sh ashamed to be married to him. But there was an element of shame, maybe. I don't know why I married him so quickly or I didn't tell people. So who knows? Like, I don't know. It's even, it's not even clear when you watch the, right. the episode, like for her, a lot of her feelings, which I think we can all relate to in our own stories. There's a lot of confusion and that's what I wrote down mm -hmm. for myself in relationship. It, it's like, She's like, why am I – I'm sure in that moment, if you had said to her, what, like, why didn't you tell us? She probably wouldn't have had words for it. Right. You know, it's this hanging of shame. She's not like, oh, I'm ashamed of him or I'm ashamed of myself in this moment. She doesn't know why. And I totally understand that because you're bamboozled by this person. Well, and, and, I, and I wonder if was that, was that her body speaking to her? Mm -hmm. Like she couldn't kind of bring herself to share this with anyone. And was that in some ways that was inside her body at the time, letting her know something's not okay. I don't want too many questions because I think what would have happened if she said she was marrying him is people would have started asking questions. Mm -hmm. And there was probably some sort of instinct for her that we can't answer those questions, but we're not sure why. So I'm just going to keep it quiet. Yeah. There was some other behavior that I really resonated with. Um, she was talking about how when she was growing up, she was always told that she was special mm -hmm. or that she was different or she was almost like she operated on a different plane than mm -hmm. than anyone else. And, and um, she wasn't an only child, but I am an only child. And I was also told that I was special 
or different. And part of that is good and part of that is bad because because we all like to be told that we're special. But but when you're told that you're special, it's almost like so you don't fit in. I just think he he made her feel special. Mm. And it was like he saw that in her. But I think he took his cues from her as opposed to actually see it in her. I think he like for example, he he could see how much she loved her dog. Mm. So then he becomes all about her dog. Yeah. That's true. Cause who knows if he even liked dogs, you right. know? Yeah. So so then and and so prioritizes the dog, prioritizes her uniqueness, prior prioritizes her specialness. How she is different. Yeah. And and probably mm-hmm. said like it's the two of us against the world. Yeah. Sort of feeling. Well, and th- and then I think she says that at, at at a number of times that she felt like he would protect her and that she never felt so known. But I really feel like that's how he started to remove her from her mm. circle. So narratively, we're at the point where she's married now. She we're in episode two, yeah. which is called "Happily Ever After," which is ironic. Okay. Um, so yeah, in my notes, I talk a lot about the fact that he love bombs her. Which I would say, like he says, I he finally found me. You're the one. You're it. Um, he was content to stay home and make her dinner. She thought he was protecting and guiding me. Um, but you're right about separating her from her family and friends was somebody said she changed. She became more introverted. Right. And, and I've heard, and PJ, you can you can confirm this or not, but but I, I I've heard that uh, when extroverts are under stress, they become introverted. Yeah. yeah, I think it is true for myself. Yeah, I go into myself. I know I lose my sense of humor, mm-hmm. which is a big part of myself. Uh, so it, it that is interesting, and I see that in her because she was always. Yeah, she has that whole green hair phase. Like she was always, she felt odd or different. Or I, I, funky. I think the other thing that was interesting, and part of the predatory techniques that we can look at are how did he get a little wedge in? He got some of it was the shame piece, but there were some other things that he did. Like when he went into the restaurant, he made people feel quite uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and so. And and didn't explain anything. Nobody talked to anybody about who he was or what so he was that doing. Isolating. There. I think it just um, it brought an element of of confusion. Mm-hmm. It brought an element into we don't know what's going on with Sarma anymore. Mm. We used to know everything. We used to know. We used to be friends, and now this it doesn't feel like friends because here's somebody who she's bringing in, and now he's. And apparently they're married, but she hasn't even said anything mm-hmm. to us. And he's weird. He's awkward. Yeah. Like none of them felt comfortable. And, and he was bossing them around a bit too, acting like he owned the place. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's so fascinating because they all talk about how he would kind of ask them questions. Um, he he asked a lot of the servers and the, the manager. He would sort of kind of just asked what their opinion was on things and so you could see he's doing a little bit of recon work just kind of figuring out what language to use how to come across as intelligent about these things how to how to figure these things out so on the side he's trying to figure out what language he's speaking and how does he speak this language and trying to pick you know kind of pick people's brains Mm -hmm. and on the other hand he's making people feel uncomfortable a little bit confused 
There's also a scene in in the first one, uh, first episode, um, where she has a friend, um, and the friend is um, homeless, and from time to time she stores some of his stuff, and he gets a bad vibe yeah. from the from the um, from MF, and he says um, to Sarma. Uh, I'm here if you need anything. And and I and I guess MF says like um she's got me. She's got me. She doesn't need anything. Yeah. Like that's why she's got me. Like you're you're not welcome. And it and it sounds very contemptuous how we how we spoke to Sarma's friend. And so that's going to be off-putting. Mm-hmm. You don't want you're not welcome anymore mm-hmm. is the feeling that he would get. So he's very likely to not go back. So these are some of the ways I like it for for me with my predator very often very often made people feel very uncomfortable in our home. Mm. Yep. <laughs> and, and and Amber for sure you would have felt that. Yeah. One of the things I, I think we could do really well here in, in this episode um, of Prey versus Predator is get some really specific moments where we see the predatory behavior. Mm. And so I think that we do see it in season uh, in in the first episode here and there. But but I think it, the overarching idea of just the lies being created and mm. this sort of um, a false narrative being um, sown is is pretty profound. But I think what's interesting, um, and here's one moment I have noted, um, he starts this what I call contempt language, mm-hmm. but it it sounds cute. Mm-hmm. So I want to just take a moment to kind of look at the difference between what sounds normal to the ear and why it's not normal, if that makes sense. Yeah. So so at some point in episode two, um, he he texts or, or says, you know, you're you're just a TBH, which is a tiny blonde human. You're just a TBH, but that's okay. I'm very much in love with you. Um, I think that sounds on the surface cute, cute, yeah, mm-hmm. sort of nice. But if you replace that word, tiny blonde human, with like you're just a white girl, but that's okay. You're just you're just a woman. You're just a Catholic, but that's okay. You're just a Protestant, mm. but that's okay. If you if you actually replace that with anything, what does it start sounding like? Well, it's derogatory. Yeah. It's absolutely putting you down. So I'm superior. You're just this, but that's okay because I'm here. And since you have me, you will be okay. But but uh, but I'm doing a whole bunch of things in one very cute. I use that in quotation marks. Moment. You're just this, but I'm here, so you're so you're okay. But since I love you, you are protected. Keeping you under. Keeping you under. Right. So you know, like, so you're just a Jew, but I'm German and no. I'm hiding yeah. you. <laughs> but you see a sick. Yeah. Like, like disgusting. Not, it's like I have power and control and authority and I therefore am linking because I love you, you have some safety and security. Right. right. So anyway, so I, so I you think. You have salvation through me. Absolutely. Mm, yeah. Yes. And so, and, and you, but you need me to feel this way about you in order to keep safe. Yeah. She says that at another point, she says, I should almost feel grateful. It was that sort of dy- dynamic. Um, and 
so like she should be grateful he's in love with her. Mm -hmm. And so again, she was feeling her body was feeling this idea that she should somehow there was she was should be ingratiated to him. Mm -hmm. so, somehow she owed him. But it's embedded in the way the predator speaks. So so the narrative becomes so dangerous. And if you don't know what you're listening to, so I wonder if we could kind of go through and pick out a few of those moments. They're very um, uh, moments of her feeling powerlessness, but explaining away her sense of powerlessness. Right. You know, like, oh, I should feel grateful or I should be more attracted to him or, you know, so I can't do anything about and it. I wonder and I'm if that, stuck if here. that's sort of why she um, so willingly gave him so much of her money. Yeah. Well, she was too invested. I think yeah. you, you, cause she was told she, at the beginning, her sister even says she's so generous. So she started giving in ways that are natural to her as a prey, as somebody who's warm hearted and generous of spirit. She gave, and then it became almost an investment. Like I've already plunked all this money mm -hmm. into this person. Got to see this through. I got to well, see. I I've got already it. committed. I've already I've committed. committed. Yeah. Well, and he he has now. So he starts to frame everything in in this idea of that her her protection is is dependent on him um, being her protector. Yeah. But then him being her protector is dependent on her passing the tests that these other beings need. Celestial beings. The celestial beings, right? Um, the celestial beings need her to pass some tests. And what I love about this moment when, when he starts this, this whole narrative is if you really think through what the narrative is saying, and this is, you know, one of the techniques that we talk about is really talking through what, what is actually being said here. But first he cements his superiority, sort of embeds this idea of his superiority in her mind mm -hmm. and that he's her protector, that mm -hmm. he's her superior. She must prove yeah. herself worthy. Because, and again, embedded in the language is, you are not enough. Mm -hmm. You have to prove yourself. Well, this is a woman who has done nothing but, but prove, prove herself, herself yeah. her entire yeah. flipping mm -hmm. life, always. Yet always trying to prove herself. I am not just a cute oh, she, little blonde she's hair She's far blue more eyed. successful than him. Well, she doesn't know this, though. She doesn't know this in her being mm -hmm. because she is. We can look at her and go, for heaven's sakes, you are far more successful than this so, so sh man. She is successful and strong and powerful and smart, mm -hmm. but she is not dominant. She has a very non-dominant type of personality, a very sort of submissive type of person, even though she's very strong. So I think that's what he's hooking into. Mm -hmm. Not... He's using this this narrative, and so using the strength against her. Now you've got to prove yourself. She's used to proving herself. She does prove herself. She mm -hmm. proves herself and knocks it out of the park. Proves herself. So, but the narrative is set. This kind of language where he he just embeds in his language his superiority, her inferiority. That she needs him. That he will take care of her. That he will protect her. And then he starts hitting her with, "But you need to prove yourself." And not to me, you need to prove yourself to they, them. Yeah. So then he creates another kind of like, then he creates flying monkeys, 
so to speak. Magical flying Magical, monkeys. mysterious, mm. mystical flying monkeys. And then her job is to submit and trust and prove. Well, she's wired for all these things. In my opinion, like, you know, yeah, just, she is. Just, just watching when you're caretaking, loving, warm, hardworking, generous, smart, mm. strong, I'll, I can prove it. No problem. And the, and the reward, the carrot in front of you all the time is that we just need to see that you're worthy. I mean, I know you're worthy, but they, them need Do to know you're know. worthy because they don't believe me. They think you're a loser. You know, they don't think you're trustworthy. Well, and if you are wired in such a way to, you know, not give to yourself, yeah. but to outwardly pour out, you know, from this abundance of what we have, but it is limited. And maybe it's the promise that someone's going to pour into you and he doesn't. So you have to keep pouring out financially and physically and mentally and all that kind of stuff. Uh, speaking of quotes that I've written, I wrote down in the second one, he says, I am fat for you because of this idiocy. I look forward to not being fat again. It's depressing. What? <laughs> Did you, I just thought it was interesting because it feels like he's, he's first of all, taking on a victim. Yeah. yeah. He's being a victim. That's a thing. And he's blaming her. So he's using blaming language. Did she make him fat? That's what he's saying, but no, she's, if he ate the way she Vegan, ate, yeah. he wouldn't be. Right. But he says, I am fat for you. So what he means is because he's gaining you, weight. So, so he's, he's saying way. they, them, the, the mystical, they, them are trying to, are, are, are pressuring him to get fat because they want to see, they think she's just in it for the money. Oh, yeah. And so if we can make you completely disgusting and just gain so much weight that she we're going to prove the point that she just wanted you for the money and not for who you really were inside. And so again, the, this idea of like it's a mind fuck. And totally. and and the brilliant part and what what we've talked about so many times is they love the victim role. Absolutely. If you listen to his language, it is victim Victim, victim. So that's a great one because he just points out, and it's for her he's doing yeah. it. So she's the persecutor. Yeah. They, them are the persecutor, and she's the persecutor, and he's the victim. Yeah. And the, really, the only way to rescue him from that is I don't know. There's well, no way to rescue him. I still love you. I love you. Just hang in there. Hang in with him, even are. though he gets bigger or whatever. I guess and, that's the only way. And I think that's where this idea of like, um, um, this idea start, I, th I think that that starts the root like this. These are the things that start this root of I'm superior. You're inferior. You need to prove you're not, not you're not enough and you're not worthwhile. So you have to prove to me. Mm. And if, and when I think you've proven to me, uh, then, then you can have. So if you really talk this through who in love says I'm, I'm superior, you're inferior. Mm -hmm. You have to prove to anybody who you are, why you are, why you love me. The second that you have to prove any of that to anybody for any reason is a huge, huge danger sign because it means that you're not 
trustworthy. I doubt your character. Or other people doubt your character. But then he puts her in this position where he is gone. She doesn't know where he is. She gets, was it a, was it a, a phone call that she got? And he's in a panic. And he says, if, essentially, if you don't send me mm-hmm. money now, I'm going to be killed. Well, it's mysterious what he does. Well, he's getting money from places too. So who knows? Maybe some of it's true because he's getting it from bad guys, but not to say that she should pay for it. Well, if anybody needs anything, and I think we could probably agree that this is a fairly big red flag. In my entire life, I have never called anyone ever and said, if you don't give me money yeah, right I now, be yeah. I will be dead. No, exactly. Um, or something awful will happen, or mm. I'll lose out on this huge deal. We or, will not become celestial beings. Yeah, I mean, so I think that the urge, whenever somebody ties some sort of, you know, big ask or big want, we really want to look at that in terms of what is the urgency and why am I the only person on the planet that can fill this urgency? Exactly. Mm. exactly. If you've known this person for 30 years, um, then that's a different story. Um, so one of the techniques I thought would be handy to point out as well is this idea of how the predator starts to give very strong opinions about what they like and don't like, what's good, what's not good. But they do it in a way that they have the power. So, you know, she talks about him. Um, so as soon as he started to get involved with her business... He started to label the people into categories of red shirts or blue shirts. One was good, essentially, and one was bad, essentially. But it is a way that the predator starts to put wedges and starts to create um, a narrative and a category. So if, if I think back to my own experience, and I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Uh, and Amber, actually, I'd like to hear, too, from you with your predator uh, whether or not your friends would have got put in certain categories. Because mm. I think what's interesting here is it's just it's just a way that he's developed to start to, yeah, put a wedge between her and her staff. And, and how if he's going to get rid of somebody, it's not because he wants to get rid of somebody, it's because they're a red shirt or because mm. they're a blue shirt. So he, he's also buffering himself from having any responsibility. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And red shirts, blue shirts, that comes from Star Trek. Does oh, it? The red shirts always die. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's why. The blue, the blue shirts. So if you ever watch Star Trek, whoever is wearing a red shirt dies in that episode. Oh, that oh, is interesting. interesting. Yeah. Huh. Oh. Um, See, we needed we needed your expertise in that area. And it's from the area. first, like, like the first, like the from original. the late 60s. Yeah, original. Oh, wow. So did you ever notice that, Amber, for you? With- uh there was always a talking about a discussion. If I had a friend who had a lot of strong opinions, who maybe I started saying some of the, you know, independent thoughts that a person may, like if I had a friend who was discussing issues with me in regards to my predator and I started standing up for myself, my predator would then say, oh, you're just being like that person. Mm. They're not good for you. They're too bossy. They're whatever. 
you know, so giving them labels, giving them labels, putting them in a category of maybe that's who you shouldn't befriend. It was always better for my because it was a parent to be friends with somebody who is sweet and nice and didn't have strong opinions. <laughs> that was always a little more secure for this person. Um, when I had friends who maybe allowed me to be more myself, maybe stand up for myself, then those friends were not good. Yeah, which which is so interesting because essentially that's what he's doing yeah, to exactly. her too. Because yeah. anybody that made ruffles or that caused waves or asked too many questions or didn't like him, guarantee what category they were going to go in. And do you see that with your two ex-predator situations? It, it, it was more um, like if we were hanging out with my friends um, at the end of the event, I would be told what was wrong with them. Right, right. Yeah. So my predator definitely controlled the narrative because when he went to see, like, let's say he went to go see somebody, like one of his friends, he would come back and just completely badmouth them mm. to me. And and he would often be kind of disgusted with the friend because they had been so, um, maybe they'd been, you know, politically not astute or they had been what what he saw as as racist or um they had been judgmental or they had been something just so or uncouth like a sibling a sister was uncouth or, or whatever or, yeah or, or 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 were you know cold or cruel or or showed signs of OCD mm. or, you know, um, you know, or rigidity or it would be, it would always be something that to him was very disgusting or disdainful or, or awful or terrible. And so I would just see these people through his eyes mm. um, and I would hear these stories of how this person had done this or said that or was like this and would often be shocked um, or surprised and never really did it occur to me, at least for the first decade and a half, um, it didn't really occur to me that these were in some cases completely fabricated situations. The person never did do that, those behaviors. Or if they, let's say somebody took a five minute shower um, somebody would say, oh, um, you know, every single day we went we went camping on a guy's trip and every single day this person had to have like an, a two and a half hour shower. Um, so maybe they had a shower every day. Maybe they thought that was strange, but somehow it became a two and a half hour excursion as opposed to a five minute. Mm -hmm. And what, you know, what is he doing in there? What is, what is his problem? Um, he's so OCD. I bet he has to do. And so you just start seeing this person through their lens. Because you don't have anything else to go on. It is interesting because I think of, because I'm still in relationship with my predator, there is times where this person will label other people. Oh, they've got that. Or they're like that. Yeah. And it's just fascinating because it's always, and it, it's usually somebody like they're really close to, like, uh, you know, a parent, another step parent or whatever. They're like this. And it's like, well, can't you see your own stuff? But no, it's, there's something wrong with them. Let me just, let me diagnose what they are. I'm going to diagnose what they are. And maybe that's what we're doing right now. But I feel like the nature, the heart of what we're doing is to inform people and to be truthful about our stories and not to necessarily blame at the feet of people who don't deserve it. 
or well, getting and, labeled and of something. He's categorizing people who've worked for her, been loyal to her, supported her, worked their butt off for her for in some time, in some cases, you know, five, six, mm-hmm. seven, eight years of their lives. And uh, restaurant business is not easy for anybody who works in it. And anybody who works in it knows that is a tough go. Mm-hmm. So when somebody's dedicated four, five, six, seven, eight years of your life, and all of a sudden they're a red shirt, um, the d- ability to dismiss and demean is stunning. And because it's his own making, the the words are his own creation. Well, apparently they're Star Trek. Star Trek, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, because they're his own making, um, you can't argue with it. You can't talk sense around it. You can't make any... Um, you can't offer your own insight into it. And proving somebody wrong in these situations is not possible. Absolutely. You know, I think of my predator and you can be like, well, you know, trying to give another nuanced position on somebody that this person is labeled and they will not see it. It's like, no, 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 you're wrong. Oh, yeah. I'm right. This is how it is. And even when my predator, a parent is trashing trashing themselves like that's not fair to say that about yourself mom Mm. i'm wrong i can't like she will not see the other like i this person is right yeah Mm. there is no arguing with that and i would i would say that mf mr fox same thing Mm. he is right she is wrong As we recorded this episode, it became clear that there is so much more to talk about. So as we continue this Prey vs. Predator project, and in order to facilitate this and other deeper dives, we're starting a YouTube channel. So check out Prey vs. Predator on YouTube, where you'll find PJ doing some deeper dives into Prey-Predator dynamics found in pop culture, such as in movies, TV shows, or current events. Whether you're a first-time listener or a regular, thanks again for tuning in. We launch a new episode every week, so subscribe to our podcast to make sure you get notified whenever a new episode drops. To learn more and engage with us further, check us out on social media at Prey vs. Predator. We post regular tidbits and clips from our podcast to help support and empower our growing Prey community. Everything we do is intended to support and empower you, our listeners. So if you appreciate what we do and want to support us, consider leaving a rating and review and share this podcast with friends and family so it can get out to those who need it. You might also consider supporting us financially on Patreon. We have a number of perks available to people who give, and every little bit helps us to continue to create this content.